Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned after the podcast for insights on elevating the human experience. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor here at Adweek. And uh, I've got a full house today to talk about one of a, a one-of-a-kind issue, uh, a, a moment in our history, one could say. It is Adweek's 40th anniversary. Uh, and so we, did, we devoted a whole issue to that, of course, not just to us as Adweek, uh, but to the industries that we cover uh, and how they've changed over the 40 years since Adweek was launched. Here to talk about it with me, uh, we've got Co M, Department's Editor at Adweek. And Co, we have a big announcement. Can I reveal your big news? Yes. Co is now our official co-host of this podcast uh, and will be helping produce the podcast. Uh, Hopefully you heard her first appearance recently. Uh, Very excited to have her on. Uh, For those of you who listen frequently, uh, you will know Kamiko McCoy, our social editor and co-host, who sadly has uh, announced she'll be leaving Adweek and going to Turner. We're very excited for her. We remain uh, big, big fans of Kamiko. And she has been a tremendous addition to this podcast and to all things Adweek. Uh, so we're very excited for her going to Turner. Uh, and Co was amazing enough to step in to the breach and uh, join us as co-host each week and to help produce the show. Uh, Co, you are department's editor, but uh, y- you know, tell us a, b- a bit about your your media background of what other kind of uh, what other what other work have you done before coming to Adweek? Oh yeah, first of all, thank you um, for all of our listeners um, in having me on. Um, I come from a multimedia background, so everything from writing for newspapers um, to reporting for CBS News um, to doing brand videos for the likes of Samsung um, to being a travel writer for Yahoo. I've literally been all over the place Um, and writing for um, content for Unilever, uh, working for AARP. Um, And now I'm here um, and involved with video, um, the departments, as you say, the some of the 
nice sections of our magazine. Um, and yeah, I'm just really happy to be here. I've been on a couple podcasts. Um, I have a podcast album on Spotify, which is unrelated to the world of advertising. Um, but I'm very much interested in trends, um, in big ideas and storytelling. So really, really happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, we are so excited to have you have your role even bigger here at Adweek. Uh, we've also got back uh, two uh, longtime Adweekers, uh, Robert Clara, our uh, senior editor who is the maestro of all things brand history. Uh, Robert, it is always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, David. Uh, and Diana McDougall, uh, art director. Is that is that still your title? I, I feel like... Senior uh, art director, fl- sir. Uh, I was about to say, you, <laughs> f- you have flown up the ranks <laughs> so fast here, like every time we have you on. You, you can't see you this, but her chair is actually a few inches higher than the rest of ours. <laughs> <laughs> senior art director at Adweek, uh, Diana, uh, plays a big role in so much of what Adweek does visually, uh, and we'll have a lot to talk about, but especially the video and our social content, uh, of which our, our 40th anniversary has spilled over into quite a bit. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. But first, let, let's talk about like everyone's favorite brand PR debacle of the week. Mm. So Peloton. Yes. Peloton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm not in the Peloton like target audience, so I, I I've not been exposed to them too much. We we ran a pretty exhaustive piece a while back uh, called "The Cult of Peloton" uh, that really looked into how this brand is a a, uh, a home exercise stationary bike with built-in kind of iPad situation uh, that I believe runs two thousand dollars for the bike, and then maybe another thirty nine forty bucks a month uh, to be a you know, to be a member of it. Uh, Co, I know you're a, you're a pretty active person. Is this a brand you've had any kind of personal uh, background with? Um, I've taken a Peloton class. My friend is a Peloton teacher, and another is one of the Peloton yoga class teachers. Um, but I arguably am also not in the target audience. Um, I think they're trying to really target the Upper East Side mom who blogs. <laughs> Well, and to that point, uh, they released a holiday ad featuring uh, what I think could be described as an Upper East Side mom. Uh, probably has a blog. Seems to have a video blog in the in the ad, but it's a holiday <laughs> ad uh, featuring a a mom who comes into a room on Christmas and her husband has gotten her a Peloton, uh, which is a a kingly gift in the value. I mean, that's that's two thousand um, bucks, but also I don't know. Yeah, you know, getting your spouse. <laughs> A piece of exercise equipment that they did not necessarily specifically request, uh, you know, request hint, and ask for. Yeah, is is a is a is an is a choice. Um, <laughs> and so let's listen to a little of the audio. It's only thirty seconds long, so we can probably catch most of it. Uh, if you have not, uh, I believe, like Robert and maybe seven other people on Earth have not actually seen this ad yet. So here, let's listen to a little of it. Okay, you ready? Yes. Now. Peloton? Give it up for our first time riding. Right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace and Boston. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. So... The, the ad uh, be- went viral for all the reasons you don't want your ad to go viral. Uh, really, It had been out for like a few weeks. I will give credit to Jameson Fleming, our newsroom chief of staff, who actually uh, noticed, I think even tweeted about it like weeks ago. And then nobody else like said a word, including myself. Uh, and 
And then it just blew up within a day or two this past week and uh, and just was everywhere. And people were like, oh, this Peloton ad. I would put it on par. Uh, am, I, am I overstating it, Diana, to say that it was kind of almost on par with the with the Kendall Jenner Pepsi? Uh, oh, that I, too think, far? I think that takes it a little too far. Because that, that like gets into like – weightier issues of like activism and and you know uh police violence and stuff right. that are uh, you know kind of hinted in like like that there's no like equivalent of a black lives matter kind of social movement necessarily referenced in this one but man i can't think of another ad that's blown up this negatively since then it's um, it was just so perfect to imitate <laughs> down to the song she's so high from 1998 why they chose that song to lightly play in the background and then the and then the comedians on Twitter online just ran with it. Just yeah. Hilarious. Once you compare it to get out and you can't unhear that. <laughs> you know, they have had other ads, like the the one with um the house uh kind of zooming out to a bunch of houses and you know, what I still imagine a snow globe of the Upper East Side of Peloton bikes. That one was cute. Like even eight-year-olds thought that that was a cute little holiday ad. But yeah. I think this one with, you know, the the wide-eyed um, mom who looks like she's, you know, spinning for her life. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard to it's hard to watch, but you can't not watch. Yeah, I was I was interviewed on uh, Reuters TV about it, and they asked me something like, you know, what was it about this ad, obviously, that set off people? And I really think it's two things. One is just, yeah, okay, it's is the 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 concept, right? The basic premise that this guy um, bought his wife a Peloton and then kind of puts her on this year long death march of of <laughs> going through it. But then that could have been fixed with one line of copy, right? And who knows? Maybe there's a version of the ad that had that, and they just cut it for 30, you know, to get down to a 30. Um, but that's really the only thing missing is her saying, like, I've been really wanting this. I've been right. asking for it like crazy. Because, um, you know, hey, it's like, well, whatever. I mean, there people are people spend money who want and, it. Yeah. Yeah. She I mean, was people not spend, one of them. <laughs> like, 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 we put big red bows on cars every year on Lexuses, and and nobody like freaks out about that. So it's not like the cost of the thing is necessarily the only issue. Um, to me, I don't know about you guys. The first time I saw it, because of Twitter and the nature of Twitter, the first time I saw it, I saw it with the audio muted, and it looks like a hostage video. It's like <laughs> the looks on her face through the whole thing are just like grimacing, <laughs> and like then you turn on the audio, and she's like. Looking forward to this. It's going to be great. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Here we go. Day six. But like I was Day watching, I was like, <laughs> so they're trying to like make sense of it. I was watching it silent. I was, I was somewhere I couldn't watch it and I saw everybody freaking out, but I was like at a, you know, I don't know, at a school thing or something where I was like, what, what is this way? I can't, I can't hear it. Um, but yeah, I think there's just something about the look on her face through a lot of it. Um, just looks strained. Maybe I guess is the best word for it. Diana, I don't know. Help me out, or or co, or any of you. I, like I said, I, I don't think Robert's seen it. But uh, what made? What do you think made this thing so so weird? I think what made it so weird. Well, aside from her expression, which this actress really incredible. I want to talk to her. I know, I went I down a rabbit hole of trying to find out who the actress was, but she was just obviously doing a job, and she did a believable job because you can't get you know her expression out of your head. Um, and I think, David, what you wrote in your piece, you interviewed somebody who said, you know, had this been like a weight loss like kind of narrative that would have like even thrown more fuel to the fire about like 
body positivity or lack thereof. And I think it's really the the psychological part, right? Like it's a, it's a thriller. Yeah. <laughs> it's a psychological thriller. Like what's going to happen when like she has all this pressure like building up um, throughout the year, um, notably from this like wife-husband dynamic. I yeah, the, even... the, si- the silent husband is just kind of creepy, like oh, yeah. sitting there seeking his quiet approval. Does he have a line? <laughs> No. I don't think he has a line. He just kind of smiles and nods, which It's like, I'm maybe watching play. you. <laughs> I didn't even think it was that terrible of an ad. It would just had all the pieces from her selfie videos, her expressions, her reluctance, and, and the She's So High song that was perfect to imitate. I, I, yeah. I get a kick out of it. I love it. I, I'm waiting for have... it to be on SNL. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time you listen to this, you will know if we were right and all of us have just been like, who, who, what is the SNL joke going to be? Like, are they going to tie it to impeachment hearings? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like right in the wheelhouse of SNL. So easy to parody. And you're, it's, it is just like, you, you know, I, I don't know if this is in defense of it. I would, I'm certainly not defending it. But I do think that there are people whose anger level is maybe disproportionately high. You think? Uh, about... You know, it's like in a, in a week where we were literally having impeachment hearings about a president and then people are just like still going nuts like three days later about this. But on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's there's something here that definitely sets people off like this kind of uncanny valley, um, like separation from reality, maybe. Or just I don't know, maybe it plays up the eat the rich kind of vibe of mm-hmm. just people are, you know, but it's uh, man, it was something so uh on the day that this ad really went viral, I believe it was uh, it was t- maybe Tuesday. It was Monday or Tuesday. The stock uh, for Peloton dropped nine percent in one day, uh, which is a lot. And this is a stock that's done very well since it went public in September. They are a unicorn, one of the coveted billion dollar valuation of startups. And they're really one of the only ones that's done well on the market. Uh, most unicorns kind of flop. I uh, don't need to remind you of the the ghost of WeWork, past and present. Um, but uh, just to remember, they're a technology company. Yes. <laughs> the uh, the you know it's so so they've been kind of a success story. But through that whole time, I mean, a whopping like three months. Um, there have been a lot of stock analysts who've been like, this is really overvalued. You know, this company isn't really profitable or at least doesn't have like a good profit margin. Uh, and and they were kind of, a lot of them were just waiting for a good time to sell. And then they had a really strong Black Friday. And so you had, uh, I think, a lot of investors just saying like, eh, now's a good time. Get out. And uh, and so they sold off. In advertising, whenever like a stock goes up or down uh, at a time when like an ad is blowing up, everyone rushes to say that they're related. And I can tell you as someone who's been covering this stuff for like more than a decade, it's never related. <laughs> it's, it's always so like people are like, it's because that ad went blew up. And then you find out, no, it's because of like the price of futures in rubber. <laughs> it's, like, right. it's always a real letdown. It'd be one thing if like their pellet, you know, their CEO had like a riff with the board but i think yeah it's i i appreciate your insight into that yeah it was i mean it's just again i'm i can't say i know much about the stock market i just know that every time this comes up i among many people i'm disappointed to find out that it's not because um one ad got a million views or whatever 
<laughs> that a stock a stock price changed by you know ten percent. Um, well, anyway, uh, it has been a, a fascinating thing. I don't know what lessons maybe it can be learned from this. Code, do you have any thoughts on what brands should should take away from this? Um, yeah, uh, storyboard the the expressions, and I think <laughs> Diana's point is, uh, you know, what does the music add or detract from? The ad, uh, like it's really the combination of things, right? The storyline, the expressions, and the music. So when that all comes together, um, and maybe not release it in the week of, you know, an impeachment thing. <laughs> um, so, or you could yeah. use your fury over the impeachment to fuel a really aggressive workout or something. I just mm-hmm. think that even though I'm pleading some ignorance in the content here, but uh, it seems to me, and in this day and age, a brand should know better than to wade into the treacherous waters of uh, a husband seemingly asking his wife to drop a few pounds uh, with this handy uh, uh, exercise bike. Even if that wasn't their intent, I just feel like they're very close to the fire with that topic. Yeah. As a cautionary tale, just always think, how are people going to make fun of this? If they're going to run with it, what are they going to do? How are you going to be made fun of? Like the anti-focus, like like a focus group, but for... Like, let's assume this all goes wrong and everyone hates it. What are the parodies? Yeah. Or maybe yeah. that's maybe that's something to aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> it was Speaking all part of, of the things plan. to aspire to. <laughs> um, David, did you have anything else to add about it? Yeah. No, I wish I did. I think uh, – I think let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to the the far more important issue of our of our own selves, our own <laughs> our own media entity turning forty years old. But first, let's uh, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned as Tim Grulick, managing director at Deloitte Digital, talks about how emotions inspire loyalty and what it takes to form an emotional bond with a brand. All right, we're back. Um, Co, why don't you tell us about it? As I've mentioned, this is our 40th anniversary. What did we do in the print issue to celebrate such a momentous anniversary? We broke out the history of us and advertising uh, through the decades. So by the decades, um, from the golden age, maybe, of advertising in the 80s to the revolution of TV in the 90s, um, the disruptive digital decade in the 2000s, um, getting into smart tech in 2010s. And then we also took uh, or are taking a look at the future of big tech. But first, uh, we want to take a big look back um, with Robert, who I have the distinct pleasure of working with every week in the department section. Um, but Robert is also a historian, and he is a huge wealth of knowledge um, and he dug into our archives, dug into uh, what people were seeing back then. And I want to start with things that sound familiar and may keep sounding familiar. Right, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. So here is the idea with this. Uh, we as reporters in this business often hear people grousing – Uh, about, um, well, the same old stuff. And uh, what I wrote about here was that just about every complaint that you can name is in fact not new at all. And I found these very complaints uh, in our own pages going back many years. I will give you a few examples. Uh, Agency life is stressful. Hmm. Um, (laughs) Agency employees are depressed but don't want to talk about it We did a story on that back in 1981. Uh, What else? 
uh, everybody hates cable companies. Uh, and then I guess that was probably true the first week that there were cable companies. But uh, we had a story in the early 90s. I don't even have the year in front of me here. Uh, about a letter-writing campaign to Congress where half of consumers said that they couldn't even get a cable rep to answer the telephone. That sounds awfully familiar to me. Uh, and then the real standout for me was a story we did in 1998 about how Americans don't feel secure when they're online. And um, I think people think that like this whole data privacy thing is really new, but it's really not. And uh, we wrote, quote, when it comes to buying things, many consumers abide by the classic admonition of horror movie trailers, be afraid, be very afraid. Dun, dun, dun. It's kind of like, um, you know, when it's winter and people are like, it's so cold this year or <laughs> right. it's like, well, this is what you said last year, too. Right. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. So, you know, it's a, the lesson here is not that your life doesn't suck, but that your predecessor's life sucked too, I guess. And humans like to complain. Right. At, at least on the agency front, I doubt there's ever been a time where working in an agency was not like a midnight oil burning nightmare of just incredible hours. Because it's not like, you know, the technology has changed and I think the ability to leave work and not work has changed. You know, now you can't leave work ever um, because it's it's always there in your pocket. Um, and because you work from home. Y- yeah. And like, but you know, it's like we can all be reached anywhere and you can all be called in at any time now. But other than that, I think it was probably even worse at a time when that wasn't the case because it was like, we need you to stay. <laughs> yeah. The seems. only give back was back then there were actual expense reports that got approved. Um, but, but I found tons of stuff along those lines, David, that people complaining that, you know, I work too, I work too many hours. I can't get out of the office. I'm not paid enough. Uh, my boss is a so-and-so, uh, there's no security in this business. Uh, my firm's been sold. I've been downsized. Like none of this is new. I think there's a tendency to feel that it's new now because we live in such an age of immersion with the media that we we hear more about these things, mm. but they're not new. Right, uh, right. Robert, I have an important history question. Uh, before Harry Chapin wrote Cats in the Cradle, Uh-oh. what was the theme song of working at an ad agency uh, and never seeing your children? Because that's for a few decades, that's oh that's God. remained. <laughs> I don't know. Highway to Hell? <laughs> yeah, that, I don't think that preceded it, but yes, no, it's just like She's that was so the re- high. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> 1958s. She's so high. The, uh, yeah, no, it's just like that was the, the, I think every agency has had like that one person who just starts screaming the lyrics to Cats in the Cradle whenever they're having to work, like through their kid's third dance recital. Right. Or right. It's just like, ah, yes, decades of soul crushing uh, work toward a pitch that you probably won't even win. Um, but t- tell us about some, some, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow there, Robert. Tell us about some more uh, no, stuff you uncovered. Code, you want me to move on to another, yeah, I think another we can... titillating uh, grouping of findings? Of yes, them, a bunch of tidbits of right. um, tid- things that we got really right and things that... <laughs> yeah, so I called this the Adweek Crystal Ball. Uh, and the premise is this. We journalists, because we write about trends and talk about people who know things... Uh, I think there's a tendency that we have to think that we know the future better than other people. And, you know, sometimes we do, but most of the time, no. So I hear a few things uh, from the pages of Adweek uh, where we were kind of looking ahead. Uh, A few things that we got right. In 1985, 
We referred to uh, those times as, quote, the age of bottled water. And in fact, it really was. In fact, it's only gotten bigger. Uh, Americans now drink 14 billion gallons of bottled water a year. So we got that right. Uh, in 1998, we uh, admonished department stores that they had better embrace e-commerce or perish. Uh, so true that. And uh, in 2012, which was seven whole years ago, we referred to Gen Z as the, quote, new power players of consumerism. And we were dead on with that, too, because Gen Z now has $44 billion of buying power. And is total cat bait. Yeah, cat bait. So uh, more importantly, here's the stuff that we totally screwed up. Uh, in 1989, we advised our trusting readers to get involved in a hot, lucrative new market called the Soviet Union, <laughs> which, of course, <laughs> dissolved in 1991. Um, and in 1998, we reassured readers that that online advertising thing was only an experimental idea. And, of course, as of last year, it was a $100 billion business. Uh, my personal favorite is in 1998, we referred to Joe Camel as, quote, a property that could fare well for the brand for a very long time. And, of course, Joe Camel became exhibit A for how big tobacco targets kids and Joe Camel was – led behind the barn or led behind the tent uh, in 1997. <laughs> so uh. bottled water win. <laughs> Joe Camel. Joe loss. Camel loss, clearly. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we also in the issue have winning women, uh, people we wrote about, people who are notable. Um, who are some of the names that – we should look forward to reading about. Yeah, more. so as I was uh, paging through the many, many, many uh, bound issues of Adweek, and I've got got some here, and you just feel the knowledge rippling off. Oh, the man, pages. it's like ASMR of <laughs> advertising is, right? lore. It is. <laughs> so uh, one thing kept popping out at me that, that um, well, well, well before the age of uh, Me Too, uh, Adweek was covering – influential and important women in business, not to prove a point or anything, but just because it was the journalistically sound thing to do. And uh, there were so many that I, I, I could only fit 10. Uh, here are three of them. Uh, Lois Weiss, uh, we profiled her back in 1982. She was uh, a huge figure in advertising. She founded her own firm, Weiss Advertising, and she somehow found the time to write four novels while running her own agency. Um, in 2004, 2005, right around there, we caught up with uh, Mia Hamm just as she was retiring from soccer. And um, we had to sit down with her because she was starting to get into product endorsing, which has obviously become quite the fashionable thing for for former athletes now, but 2004, we were totally on top of that. And uh, we asked her, um, given that uh, her job in, on a soccer team was extremely difficult, what she thought of the advertising business. And she said, actually, quote, there's a lot of work that goes into this. Um, and then my personal favorite, uh, wonderful, wonderful woman who actually died uh, last year. I had the privilege of speaking with her um, shortly before then, Jane Moss. Uh, a hugely influential woman in advertising. And uh, we wrote about her many times. But in 1989, 
she told us about her experience uh, directing advertising for the one and only Leona Helmsley. And if you don't remember Leona, uh, she ran a hotel empire here in New York. Um, she became known as the queen of mean thanks to the New York tabloids uh, for her assiduous practices in torturing her own employees. And uh, she went to prison in 1989 for income tax evasion. If you remember the quote, only little people pay taxes, that was Leona. And uh, so Jane Moss was way out in front, not afraid to talk to the media. Leona was on her way to jail. Jane Moss was talking to us. So uh, that was a, I, still a great moment in our pages and frankly for me because I still remember that interview I did with her and it was a terrific time. So that's what I got. How's that? That I mean, I know you have a lot more too. And there's so much more in our, our pages and, and the layout. And here to talk about that, um, I'd love to to get your insight, Diana. Um, we, we'll talk about the layout first. And then I want to really dive into the cover because, you know, as you mentioned, David, this is a huge issue for us. Um, for anyone who is new to the industry or a veteran, you'll there's something for everybody in here. Right, definitely. And so it's, it's a big task to bring 40 years of content into a magazine spread or a feature well. And it was more about editing than design that Robert worked with our creative director, Ron Goodman, with. So we structured the layout around a timeline that's broken down into decades and there's kind of a theme for each decade, but that timeline really helps tie it all together and and keep us on track because it's a lot to cover. Yeah. So it, it's it's a bunch of pages with a lot of facts and amazing stories. And one of um, the decades is helmed by our very own David Greiner. Um, and if I may quote the first two lines of your piece, David, because it's I just love it. May I? Uh, please. I don't even remember what I wrote, so I look okay. forward to hearing it again. The mission was to sell a train. So they got in a car and drove a thousand miles. Oh, it just like kicks <laughs> off the 1980s. I love it. So I talked to a few folks who were really active in the industry uh, through the 80s, including the wonderful Keith Reinhardt, uh, who's, uh, I think, creative chairman emeritus now for DDB. Um, but he is the father of basically a lot of the most beloved advertising of the 80s. He uh, created a lot of the basically all the McDonald's. Like if you saw a McDonald's ad in the 80s. Uh, that was Keith Reinhardt. You know, I really thought he would talk about this McDonald's stuff and all these like famous ads. And instead, when I asked him, you know, what do you think was the biggest trend that shaped advertising in the 80s? And he was like, oh, media, media, like the rise of media, which is something we talk a lot about in the 90s and in the 2000s. Like when we think about, you know, kind of the magazine boom of the early 90s or the, of course, the Internet. Um, but I was like, the 80s, really? Was there really that much of a change? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, outdoor was exploding. Just basically, there were new ad units and ad opportunities popping up everywhere. And people were starting to think about the media first and then about the creative that would make sense. So the the, the story that Co referenced about the train is essentially Amtrak has this car train that uh, will will take you and your car, let's say, to Florida. Uh, from New York City. Is this the auto train, David? It is the auto train. Yeah, yes. back then it went all the way from New York down to Florida. Yeah, so it was they were they were tasked with uh, promoting the auto train. 
and the fact that you could hop on it in New York and go all the way to Florida without driving and you'd have your car when you got there. And, uh, and so the way they did that was they got in the car and they drove to Florida and then they basically, this is just the creative team and a few of the folks that are working on the account uh, for Amtrak uh, from DDB. And they just waited to see when they got fed up with driving. <laughs> like, when did they hit a point where they did not want to drive anymore? And then they drew a circle on the map where that was, and they bought all the billboards in that area. And they ran a bunch of billboards that said, you could, you know, you could be riding on the Amtrak uh, auto train right now. And, you know, instead of driving and, and you could, I think even if you did drive to Florida, you could then load your car on the, on the Florida side and take the train back up. Uh, so, you know, that's just a perfect example of putting media in front of the, the creative concept versus like coming up with an idea and then saying, I don't know, we'll put it on everything. And he said that that really was a, a revolutionary kind of approach of the eighties and it ended up shaping so much of it. But the problem, the irony here is that just as creatives were like, oh, media, this media thing's really important. Right then, agencies were like, yeah, it is really important. We should split it off into its own agency and take it away from you guys. Right. And so uh, media ended up becoming media agencies. And I can tell you, as someone who worked in a creative department, you interact with media, but they're not necessarily at the table with you. Uh, I think there are certainly exceptions like Droga 5, uh, which we just named Agency of the Decade. And I think a big part of that was that Droga 5 has had a very like media and creative are kind of attached at the hip from day one. Um, but yeah, that's one of those big 80s trends I did not expect. And then I think craft was the other thing that really came up that you couldn't just do an ad. You had to do a really well-made ad. I mean, that's when you start seeing ads that are films. And of course, most famously, 1984, uh, mm -hmm. directed by Ridley Scott uh, for Apple. Uh, and, um, you know, kind of famously played a big role in Steve Jobs getting fired from Apple. And, and like the, uh, you know, Chiat Day, the agency that made it, uh, kind of just when they were on the cusp of success. Uh, and then all of a sudden their, their beloved client, Steve Jobs, is gone and they don't really have uh, Apple anymore. But of course, in the long run. That all worked out just fine for them, <laughs> and everything ended up uh, being just fine for Apple. But uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Definitely encourage everyone. I'm really excited about it. I haven't gotten a chance to read the other decades, uh, so I, I am really stoked about seeing uh, kind of how everyone else tackled those other decades. So I encourage everyone to check them out in print or on uh, adweek.com. Yeah, and, and at, um, you know Apple did more than just fine, right? So um, one thing that I, I noticed was that um, Apple is kind of – um, you can you can kind of see advertising through the decades in, with the product innovation of Apple, right? From the very cinematic ad um, to um, the iPad, and and then um, you know even what's coming next uh, with with privacy and how Apple is involved in that conversation. So that's really kind of something that I I, I took away from a very big picture point of view from a very um, big brand. Um, speaking of big, big cover, um, big cover, that, yeah. you know, I, I think I, I was kind of in the backseat of a lot of those conversations and it's must be so hard to, to come up with a concept, but then did it come like out of like while you were in the shower or walking or something like where, where, what about, how did it come up, Diana? Well, so this, this cover that is gracing our 40th anniversary is a throwback recreation of our first cover. And oh. it has, and for those 
alumni of Adweek who have been around for a long time. Uh, the the logo no, I don't is think anybody has been around that long. But <laughs> are you looking at me when you're saying that? No, I was looking behind you. <laughs> uh, the Adweek logo was red and massive. It took up about a third of the page. Uh, it was so big that the mailing label could fit inside one of the letters. Uh, so what we did was for this cover to honor that, we took our modern logo, made it massive in red, and are copying that style of having a bunch of text on the page and very little photography, which is the exact opposite of what we do now. Our modern issues are all photo-driven and very little type. Um, and in these features meetings that we have, we were all just racking our brains looking at concepts and trying to figure out what to do. We threw around a lot of ideas, gatefold ideas. We talked about having four, different, four different covers, a cover for each decade, uh, using photography, timelines. And I just couldn't get it out of my head that I wanted, I wanted our readers to look across the room and see, is that Adweek? What is that? And actually pick it up and see, oh, it's their 40th. That's why this is weird. That's why this is eye-catching. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with this cover. It's one of my favorites. Oh, that's so great because we have a lot of great covers. And I think we show some of them, right, in, in, the, in the magazine. We do. You'll have to pick up a copy and see um, how, our, how our covers have evolved yeah. over the years. Just a point of curiosity. I just learned this myself. The Adweek new look on its first issue – was the work of a very talented designer named Walter Bernard who worked with another designer you may have heard of named Milton Glaser. So we had some really, really top shelf input uh, on this Milton magazine. Glaser had something Milton, to do with Milton this? Milton Glaser had a hand in this and this was also around the time that Clay Felker of New York Magazine fame was mm. also editor. Wow. So uh, we've got um, – We've got quite a stable of talent uh, in these old issues. That's incredible. And we have a, a stable of talent that wishes us a happy, happy, happy 40th, um, including some of our, our cover stars, right? We have Tim Howard um, in, a, in a video. Is that right, Diana? Right. Uh, one thing we did to have to honor our 40th was – when we were interviewing people throughout the year, we asked them to wish us a happy 40th anniversary and to tell us what Adweek has done for them to make their jobs, how, how to help them do their jobs better. And so we've talked to um, CMOs, entrepreneurs, we've talked to Mark Pritchard, um, celebrities like Chrissy Teigen, Ryan Seacrest, my best friend Ruby Rose. Oh, your best friends. Well, I met her on a photo shoot. But so you're definitely best friends. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, you could say it's serious. <laughs> uh, and that's been a really fun project to roll out throughout the year and see people speak to what um, what Adweek means to them. And, and what, is, what is kind of what does it mean to them? I see that a lot of the people say that they just don't get insights like this anywhere else. And they know that the information that we're bringing them is fresh and well-vetted. That's what I've seen most. You know, one thing that 
I think about a lot. Not, and, you know, I know we, we probably sound self-congratulatory to some people, but this isn't, we're generally a very humble crew. I, I don't think any of us really, you know, spend a lot of time thumping our own chest. And that's why it's, it's nice to have this opportunity. But I remember there was this one year that I was at Cannes and this one global CEO of an agency, like I did an interview with him. And then later he said, oh, you should come back tomorrow. Well, because I said, oh, it's too bad we didn't do a live, uh, you know, because live video had just come out. And I was like, oh, we could have done a live video. He's like, oh, let's do it. Come back tomorrow. We'll do a live video. And then the next day I ran into him on the street and he stopped to talk to me for another 20 minutes. And at some point I said, you know, you've been very generous with your time. I, I mean, you're a jury president here. Like you have plenty of other stuff you could be doing, you, you know? And, and he said, you know why I like making time for you guys is because you actually care about the stuff that we care about. And, you know, it's not to say we always agree. We certainly argue with a lot of our sources and, and, you know, it's, it's not always like, uh, it's not like a mutual back rub festival or anything, but like the, uh, you know, that meant a lot to me is just because we do. I mean, we just we nerd out on the same stuff that the people in this industry hopefully like nerding out over. Um, and it, it's for better or worse, we're those people at parties who who like take everything back to advertising. <laughs> <laughs> like make every conversation super obnoxious. Uh, Robert at least has a a deep bench of historical knowledge that goes beyond advertising. But I'm really I'm really just a one hit wonder on the. <laughs> I can only talk about ads. And I think every- you know it, it, you you make a fair point, right? But also for um, a brand to be around and have evolved um, over forty years to have a continuing printed version of a brand. Um, and, you know, for anyone who's out there, like, we all know what it's like or what it's not like to celebrate a big birthday. And this is our big birthday. So, we're, you know, I think we're allowed a, a humble brag. Um, and and um, it's, you know, been a long time coming. Um, I, it's before my time. But as Diana mentioned, you know, planning this issue took a long time. So um, we hope, you know, people enjoy it, enjoy the fruits of um, everyone's labor because without the marketers, without the ads, without um, the pioneering woman, um, we wouldn't have stuff to write about, interesting things to talk about at a cocktail party, for example. Right. Uh, I'll tell you guys one last little story before we're out of time here. It's my first day as a junior copywriter, and this would have been like 2005. Um, maybe it was 06, but like, I, I had no idea. I didn't know how to write anything. I, I kind of tricked my way into the job, which is a long story for another, for another day. Um, but I finagled my way into this junior copywriter job, uh, and sat down at the desk, had no idea what I was doing. Didn't want to ask anyone, like, how do you write ads? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I, if you want to talk about like, imposter syndrome at its height because I literally was an imposter at this point of just like faking it. And uh, and so the first thing I Googled when I sat down was Adweek blog. <laughs> and, and just because I was like, I like blogs. I bet Adweek has a good one. I'll start reading it. And we had our Ad Freak blog, which at the time was probably a year old, maybe one or two years old at the most. Uh, still a baby. and um, And I was addicted to it from like that moment of, you know, my first day of work as a junior copywriter and I obsessed over it, like refreshed it every day, like constantly, like waiting to see new stuff. And then a year later, they just got tired of me leaving a comment on every single post and they asked me to just start writing for it. <laughs> and so uh, that was how I, I, you know, squeezed my way into the, into Adweek, uh, you know, many years ago. But, uh, but, you know, I can just say as someone who's been on that side of it, 
uh, it was my my first source of information in this industry, and it really did kind of expose me. And and uh, you know, someone told me that he always tries to make time to read our stuff because he never wants to be the one person in the room who doesn't know what everyone's talking about. Like when everyone's like, "Did you see that ad?" And, uh, and I was like, yeah, that's the highest praise we can get. Well, we are out of time for this week, but I cannot encourage everyone enough uh, to check out our 40th issue, 40th anniversary issue, and all the stories on adweek.com. Co, uh, thank you so much and uh, welcome as our official co-host. It's so great to have you. Thank you again. And I look forward to 2020 and doing more of these fun group chats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Robert, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, sir. Diana, thanks so much, and uh, and I I should remind everyone, uh, check us out on Instagram. Uh, we're we're Adweek pretty much everywhere these days, right? That's at right. Adweek. At Adweek, she Except really does the best Insta videos. So, Adweek yeah, right. Mag on TikTok. Uh, yeah, that's someday. new. That's the we'll only one. We're Adweek everywhere else. Yes. Um, so yeah, check that out. Diana's uh, does a fantastic job uh, with a lot of that social content and great to have you on. All right. I'm David Greiner uh, for Adweek. We'll be back next week. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was uh, produced by Chris Ahrens with production assistance by Josh Rios and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, if you have not already, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews help uh, new listeners discover the show and they mean a lot to us personally. Uh, and uh, you can always reach us at Adweek, podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. We will be back next week. Welcome to Elevating the Human Experience from Deloitte Digital. Marketers understand that emotions inspire customer loyalty, but where do these emotional bonds come from? Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, shares some recent research that gets to the heart of brand love. Have you ever stopped to think about how you would describe your favorite brand? Chances are you would use emotional words like happy, adore, love in your description. As a matter of fact, in our research, over 60% of the people we surveyed used emotional words to describe their favorite brands. We know emotions drive loyalty, but have you stopped to think how you form those emotional bonds with the brand? Let's take a simple customer lifecycle. In our research, we found that customers are most rational at the point of purchase and at the point of leaving. This runs a bit counterintuitive to the current CX and marketing thinking that focuses on emotional marketing and shared values like sustainability or promoting a specific cause to bring you to the door. But it's ultimately your rational side that takes over when deciding when and if to purchase. If an organization can convince you your rational needs for a product or service can be met, like price or quality, then you will purchase a product. If your rational needs can't be met, you won't purchase the product. Once you've purchased the product, the impact of any shared value or emotional-driven marketing messaging is negligent, and the organization's ability to consistently meet your rational needs is amplified, and the introduction of emotional factors begins to take center stage. It's this consistent ability to meet your rational needs that we call RX, or rational experience, that ultimately builds trust with customers. Once trust is built, you can begin to form emotional connections and create loyal customers. It's at the intersection of trust and differentiated experiences that emotional connections are formed. While emotional connections create loyal customers, without a consistent rational experience, those loyal customers will just as quickly become X customers. 
Want to learn more about elevating the human experience through emotion-driven engagement? Visit DeloitteDigital.com slash US slash Emotion Research for more insight. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.